Katie. He was your friend. <sighs> he wasn't just my friend. I'm sorry. He loved you. Why would I want to take that away from you now? That would be so cruel. Do you really think I didn't know there was more? I knew Q really well. And if anyone was messy, it was him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was pretty in love with you. I'm not sure that I'd say that. I would. What was I supposed to do, huh? Demand that he only love me? Scream at him to be a less complicated person? I mean, it's Quentin we're talking about. And I loved him. The real him. All of him. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And I'm Hale. <laughs> giving away the giving away the punchline a little bit early. Uh, <laughs> we are here to talk about episode five hundred three, "The Mountain of Ghosts," written by Sarah Gamble. And uh, as you heard half of, we are joined today by the two wonderful actors at the heart of this episode: <laughs> Hale Appleman and Olivia Taylor Dudley. Hale, Olivia, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> We're all a little giggly this morning. Um, well, you guys wanted to have Hale and I on together, so good So you, you're asking for it, yeah. <laughs> we did, we absolutely did. We only operate off the rails. Yeah. Unless, unless there's work to be done. But this is play, so sorry in advance. Uh, well, we've we've spent. <laughs> this is going to be an odd transition. We spent the last, the first three episodes of this season exploring the way everyone is dealing with their grief over Quentin's death. It's pretty powerful emotional material, but it's also very personal. So I just kind of wanted to start by asking you, the two of you, what's it like when you're portraying that grief? And and Hale, why don't you start? Overall, it was a pretty bittersweet situation in that. We lost a dear friend and character and colleague, both as actors and as the characters that we portray. Um, but on the other hand, it really did allow us to explore aspects of these characters' psychologies and the way that they handle um, the hardship of losing someone that they love as deeply as Quentin. Um, and that offered uh, a kind of new deeper, complex exploration of, I think, particularly my relationship with Alice, Elliot and Alice. And as well, I would say throughout the whole season, um, Elliot's journey is, um, the foundation uh, of Elliot's journey is, is based on the uh, recovery and exploration of his own grief and psychology. Mm. So one thing led to another, you know, and um, there's pros and cons, but I think overall we were able to get some places that we wouldn't have gotten to otherwise, and I am grateful for that. Olivia, but what about you? What is it like leaning into that grief as an actor? Well, I agree with everything Hale just said. It's 
it was it was hard at first, you know, we all miss Jason, but um it really opened up a lot of room for finding new corners inside these mm-hmm. characters' minds and hearts. We've all lost people in our lives. Um, I mean, I hope not, but I, I, the majority of people out there knows what it's like to go through grief and it's not fun and it's different on everyone. And I feel like they wrote everybody's character so individual in their grief and, and beautifully. And um, I think that the fans that will watch it will see a reflection of themselves in somebody's grief. And as for Alice, it hit her harder than anything's ever hit her. I think, you know, she's lost a parent. She's lost her own life at one point. She's lost a lot of things. She's lost a brother. But Quentin represented something in her that I feel like is a big part of her life that she'll never get back. And she's very lost without him. And um, this whole season is about her finding herself and the friendship that she has with Elliot is my favorite thing I've gained from the show. And I mean, Hale and I are in real life and I love him very much, but getting to explore the friendship between Alice and Elliot this season has been my favorite thing. And it's very complex and beautiful. And um, it's one that I'm most proud of. It's really fun for me to work with Olivia. And it occurred to me that we hadn't really worked together intensely since season one. Yeah. And um, I mean, we had ensemble scenes and, and group quests and things, but we've never really explored the specific dynamic between Elliot and Alice since the first year that we were on the show. And I love my chemistry with Olivia, both in my real life and on screen. And I hope this isn't in poor taste, but it's really fun to work with her, even under emotionally complex circumstances. So that was kind of a joy for me this year. And I, I liked it. I want more of it. You know, it feels really safe to work together. Helen. Yeah. We understand each other on some different astral. Different (laughs) level. (laughs) Space alien, goober, chinchilla, Frodo Baggins, Elf Queen moment. I literally have, I have all my little goody friends. I got a little Pegasus here. I've got an alien. I've got all kinds of stuff right here, Hale. I even, well, you guys can't see it. Who's listening? I got a little David Bowie photo in front of me. Amazing. Let's move on, I guess. Um, (laughs) Your characters deal with grief very differently. Alice is consumed by her grief in a very visible way, way, while Elliot, until this episode, has more been living in denial, although he does seem to be self-medicating over it. Do their styles of grieving resonate with you? Olivia, why don't you start this time? Hmm. What an interesting question. I mean, I think there's a, there's a part, Alice, that's definitely Olivia grieving. But, you know, I mean, we get these scripts and, and they're characters that are written for us and words that are written for us, so it's not my choices but um as far as what's happening but my choices within the scene and I mean I love everything that we got that's not what I'm saying all I'm saying is that I got I feel like I did get lucky in what I got given this year because um when I've lost somebody I love I was a complete and total mess so um I'm not somebody who can I I don't I don't know if I can do what Elliot's character did as Olivia. So I, I would be a total wreck if I were her. And um, so luckily that's what they wrote me. I mean, it's not, it's painful and it requires a different muscle inside me to do it. But um, yeah, I don't know. Grief's weird. Yeah. 
you never you never know what it's going to be. You never know how how you're going to react in a situation. So Mm -hmm. I I also think Alice was pretty surprised with herself and just kept getting deeper and deeper. And but, you know, she's uh, it's Alice Quinn. She's got to figure a way out. So that's what she did is she channeled her grief into, um, you know, how can she use her mind and her skills to get get herself out of this? Yeah, I think it does make a lot of sense. And it it's funny because I think we spend so much of our lives trying to anticipate how we're going to feel in our worst moments. And mm. it's just completely impossible to actually do. Not, yeah. And it wouldn't help even if you could. Totally. So, Hale, what about you? Uh, do any other styles of grief resonate with you? I suppose, hmm, I, I think of myself as someone who's much more freely expressive in person and with the people that I love than Elliot is. And so that's a pretty stark contrast in terms of how we handle the life that comes at us both emotionally and socially. So I don't think that I would resort to any of the vices that Elliot does. I think I have a healthier constitution than that, at least in understanding my own psychology. I think Elliot's a little, um, his denial and his self-destructive tendencies are a little more magnified in his persona. And that's something that I was acutely aware of when I took the part. But I will say that the way that Elliot is handling his grief this season is resonant to how I perceive Elliot. And I think that's a good thing because it, it, allow, it allowed me to build on the character that I had been away from for a year and return to him in a way that felt appropriate given what had happened, but also kind of like a an ill-fitting callback to earlier seasons where something tragic happens to Elliot and he has to resort to vices in order to get through the day. This time, it just the stakes were much higher. And when I say ill-fitting, I mean, for him, psychologically, he's, again, trying to fit back into the mold that he created for himself years ago, just in order to cope, truly as a coping mechanism. And... Um, it's transparent. Everyone can tell that he's not doing well, but he's he's telling this lie to himself in the hopes that people will sweep it under the rug as well as he is, um, or not as well as he is, but as as overtly as he is. So I liked the chance to revisit an old pattern in him in a new way, in a deeper way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. Um, it's interesting because... Uh, I've never been someone who super identifies with Elliot. uh, Was it Spooky who said that he's like a walking affectation? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Did I say that? No, um, a friend of ours did. Uh, But I think it's like, I think there's a lot of truth to it. But this season I have found myself identifying with him more in the way that he, not the vices part so much, but the sort of denial um, component to his grief. Like it's, it's, it's such a hard thing to deal with and it's been really interesting for me to just sort of watch that unfold over the past three episodes. Yeah. And there's more coming later in the season. I mean, it's a very rich season in terms of exploring Elliot's psychology. Mm. And uh, that was really exciting for me. So I don't know, episodes five and six are pretty heavy and then, down the line, um, there's 
mm, situations I'm not allowed to speak about, but <laughs> um, there's a very special Margo. There's a couple of special Margo and Elliot episodes that play on themes um, in ways that only a, like a, a sci-fi fantasy show can can do. So. Oh, well, that's a tease. Sorry. <laughs> we appreciate we appreciate teases. Um, yeah. So the the scene that we played, the scene on the mountain, um, I think I can speak for both of us and say that it's our favorite scene in this episode, right? Yeah. Definitely. Um, and a lot of it is because it is so cathartic. Alice and Elliot have never really talked about their relationships with Quentin before. Honestly, they've never even really talked about their feelings with each other before. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so what did it mean for the two of you to have your characters finally acknowledge that bond? I mean, it was lovely. It was what I wanted from this season. And Sarah gave it to us in a big way. And it was very cathartic um, as, you know, as these characters and as these actors just... We, I mean, we miss working with Jason, but just it's just a, it was a beautiful gift from Sarah and, and the team to, to let us have this scene. I mean, it's crazy to think these characters didn't actually know these things about each other necessarily. They weren't, you know, the fans and people watching. They know everything that's going on in all these people's, these characters' lives. But yeah. then in their little universes, they don't know. Alice, Alice doesn't know about life in a day. She doesn't know about these things. So it was really nice to, but Olivia does. So it was really nice to finally have everything out in the open and let these characters yeah. just feel and love each other and accept each other. And and I think they do in such a great way. And I don't know. It was it was there's two scenes in particular this season that were my favorite things um, while filming the show and that being one of them. And um, yeah, I love yeah. working with Hale. I love working with Olivia. We really it was yeah. a really great opportunity for us to fill in each other's blanks, I guess, emotionally in the scene and talk about where each of the characters were in the aftermath of their lover and friend passing. And it was also surprising in the shooting of it. Like, I think we, we took some time before we, we were on set that day and we, we had like a, we had some pretty deep conversations about our own personal grief and, where we, where we thought we wanted to go with the scene. But then I think there was a real kind of alchemy on the day on the top of the mountain that that surprised me. I didn't necessarily... I, I think we both walked away thinking that... I don't want to speak for you, Liv, but I felt like there was something that happened there that wasn't planned in the sense that it was totally... in Something intuited on the day. I'm not being very articulate, but something about the alchemy of being there with you on that day and playing the scene and the way that Sarah wrote it was really um, rich, I think, for these characters and, and for me too. And it just felt like there was a room for an element of surprise in what came out mm. during some of the takes on it. And I really just loved that we have that freedom together and I adore it. And it's yeah. one of the reasons why I love working with you. And I think that's, that's true. Like when we're just goofing around as friends, I never know we can like zip off into space and I never know what we're going to say next. And I think that's something that in the kind of like a, a more grounded, emotionally complex way found itself into the scene. So I hope I haven't actually seen it yet, but that's what I felt when we were playing it. I mean, it feels like magic. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like, I feel like it must've. Yeah. yeah. Our natural chemistry is, is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
getting <laughs> literally to be on a show, <laughs> getting to be on a show for five years is a gift in itself for an actor. I mean, like it's rare you get to explore a character for this long and to live with them and to go through things with them that the scenes like that, I mean, they all feel very real to us. Um, I mean, they always do, but now it's even more than ever. I've never explored a character as long as I have with Alice. So it just makes everything a little deeper. Every season, everything feels deeper. And this season has been my favorite one so far. Um, as far as the stories and what we're doing with it, um, you know, I miss Quentin, but it, I think that it's a really powerful season, mm. and it was to film it. I yeah, um, I have to say I agree with what I've seen from what I've seen so far too. It's it's been really powerful, and uh, I, honestly, <laughs> it's I I had a lot of faith that this would be a good season, but I have been impressed by. I feel like the show keeps getting better and the characters keep getting deeper and um, it's so hard to lose a central character, a main character for any show and to recover from that. But I feel like this has been an incredible season and in many ways my favorite yet so far anyway. So uh, (laughs) it's, it's really, it's really been nice to watch. I agree. Okay, so we've, we've already t- started talking a little bit about the episode, but I want to make it official um, and give a quick recap. I've made this very quick. <laughs> um, Alice and Elliot team up to return a piece of Quentin's soul to the underworld and meet a mysterious dark king along the way. Meanwhile, Margot, Fenn, and Josh return to Fillory to undo Margot's banishment and return her to the Florian throne in Castle Whitespire. And on Earth, Penny and Julia track down a pair of sisters who they think can help solve the mystery of the surges. So Danny. What did you think of this episode? I mean, as we said before, I think this is uh, my favorite episode so far. It's so beautiful. I just feel like the moment with Elliot and Alice is a long time coming, and I've been wanting it since, like, season one. There's just so much emotion to it, Mm -hmm. and I feel like there's also a lot of really great, like, reveals in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with that 100%. Like, this is this is also my favorite episode so far. Um, <laughs> and a, a lot of it is because it is so emotional. Um, in addition to the, the scene on the mountain, the storyline with Allison Elliott, um, the Fen Margot and Josh storyline uh, really got me, too. And, like, at first it bothered me. It felt like they were... Uh, like Fen and Margot were being set up to like be pitted against each other and fight over a man, but that isn't really what happened at all. It's 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 not really what it's about. Um, and that scene in the dungeon when they're all in cages and Margot tells Fen and Josh that she wasn't the one who saved them is really powerful. And I mean, Julia and Penny's storyline has some sort of moments of reckoning in their budding relationship too. So all in all, a really really good episode. So as we dive into it, Danny, you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, one of the things that struck me is that at the beginning of their arc, when they first start bickering on the mountain, Alice comes off as kind of haughty and possessive, willfully ignoring Quentin's importance to Elliot. How do you feel about that, Olivia? What do you think is going on in Alice's head? Well, it's easy to jump on her for reacting that way. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, she doesn't know everything that's going on and she doesn't know her Quentin and Elliot's relationship and in her experience, they've been together for years now and he's the most important person in her life and they have a very 
beautiful, loving relationship and get away. So I completely see why she would feel possessive. And, you know, totally. this is a journey that she's been on herself. And, and Elliot just joins her. You know, she didn't ask for that. And she was on her own journey. And so she is feeling very um, angry and possessive and confused, you know. As totally. Everything that's going on. Because Alice isn't dumb. She knows something is up. She knows there's things she doesn't know. And, and But, uh, you know, when you're stressed and sad, you get angry. Yeah. And um, Elliot's a friend of hers. You know, they may not be close, never been that close, but they've always shared a love for each other. And, totally. and, and he has not been totally truthful with her and I'm sure she feels that and there's all these things bubbling underneath the surface and this this hike up the mountain is just bringing all of that to the surface and um I try to be gentle on Alice um because everything she does like to me it makes sense to her it might just be because I'm a character the person playing her but I am always on her side so yeah it's so complex I, I I think Alice is actually very gentle and kind um but um she just always kind of gets pitted in these strange positions of that. And it's like you said, I mean, when you're hurting, you lash out at people. And in some ways, you lash out more at the people who you're closest to because, I don't know, they're the ones nearby. Yeah. But when, I, I, I kind of love that Elliot doesn't just take it, right? Like that he kind of calls her on it. Um, there's that line, you're way too smart for me to ascribe what you just said to total stupidity. Um, <laughs> which is a great line <laughs> delivered very well um, and at the same time he it's kind of like he tells the dark king right like he has been holding back and he says it's because he doesn't want to hurt her yeah. but it it's always it seemed like more to that more than that to me did you feel that way Hale? yeah well I also just want to say Alice's behavior is totally justifiable and Elliot is essentially prying himself into her solo quest, which is a really mm. rude thing to do. That being said, I'm sure Alice is conscious of the fact that Elliot and Quentin had something deeper without knowing the specifics. And I think there was a line that said as much at some point, right? Don't you say something like, yeah, yeah. Or, I knew, like, I knew, you idiot, or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's not a secret, you bitch, you know, and I'm like, just let me have my pain. Um, not a secret, you bitch, would totally be a line on our show. That would be a, that would, yeah, no, that was the next, yeah. the next episode. Um, <laughs> wait, what was the question? <laughs> um, just whether you think there's more to it than him just not wanting to hurt her, whether there's something, whether he's oh, holding yeah. back Oh, yeah, well, the, the complex machinery of Elliot's emotional life is that he doesn't want to reveal it mm. ever. So even when, even through all of the growth and evolution that he's had over the last few years, something as heavy-hitting as this um, certainly qualifies as a, like, no-talk zone. But I think also he doesn't want to hurt her. He doesn't want to tell her because he doesn't want to hurt her. But he doesn't want to tell anyone because he's Elliot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When they do finally talk about it, like Clara said earlier, it's cathartic. And it allows them to be truly there for each other. I love that Alice offered to help Elliot let go of the letter. Oh. It can't be easy for her either. Right, Olivia? Yeah. Of course not. But, I mean, I think that... Alice 
love so much that Elliot opened up to her and that they got to be honest and she feels seen and heard and loved. And that's what she's missing in her life right now. And mm. so I don't think it's that hard for her actually to, to give anything to Elliot, give him everything she has because she's desperate for someone to love and someone to love her. And in that moment, Elliot is her, her, her person. And, and they've been on this journey together, even if it's in parallel universes. Mm. So um, I think, I think it's perfect, and I think she's really happy with it. I mean, the, the, this, I mean, doing it on the day, I don't know exactly how it turned out, but doing it on the day um, it is extremely satisfying from moment to moment um, for these characters. And I left, you know, you rarely leave a scene feeling like you, you got it and it feels good. And this was one of those ones where I'm like, well, I don't ever need to revisit that again. I think we, we got what we came here for and yeah. our, as actors and as, as, as characters. And so everything she was happy about, it was good. It was all healing. So I want to go back to the Dark King for a second because based on what we've seen so far, I actually really like him. He's kind of telling everyone what they need to hear, and it seems like it throws everyone for a loop, too. When they find out just who he is, it's like, are we sure he's bad? There's so much I feel like I want to know about him. Yeah, well, and you were saying to me, Danny, that you thought he might be a Chatwin, which was my first thought, too, especially with the whole line about my family were magicians from Earth, because, like, those are the main magicians from Earth who we knew came to Fillory. But there's a way in which that also feels way too simple. Um, so I don't know. I was curious if you had any other theories, Danny. I mean, I have so many mini theories, like what if he's related to Quentin in some way, although that would be kind of weird. That would be very thought, weird after <laughs> Elliot almost fucked the Dark King. So. Yes. I thought maybe it could also tie into my Todd theory, and I think I've settled on the chat one one because it is so simple, but you're right, it might be too simple. I've also toyed with their Effingham being the same character, like a cursed, and it's like a princess and the frog situation. I feel like I heard somewhere in the rumor mill, like some scuttlebutt going around the internet, which might just have been someone else's theory about there being a body swap this season. So I don't know, maybe the like Sir Effingham curse could could be a thing. I mean, we're not going to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so I know you can't tell us who he is, but um, are, is there anything you can tease? The more confusing, the better. Um, about Effingham particularly or about... Maguire in general. About the Dark King. Oh, well, he's so handsome. <laughs> um, I, well, I had an interesting dynamic when we started our work together. Um, and Sarah Gamble was up there too. It was lovely because um, she was able to sort of uh, initiate Sean into the show in a lovely way. And mm. He's so curious and so inquisitive and so professional and so prepared. He's just a lovely, lovely human being. And I was very impressed with his grace on set. But at the same time, as a character, and I think chemically at first, I really didn't know where this was going or who he was or what to think of him in this scenario. And so... While I would say there was definitely a level of intrigue from the Elliot perspective, there was also, and I don't know if this shows up at all, but a level of not mistrust, but kind of like mm. sniffing each other out a little bit to figure <laughs> what, what's really going on here. A level of um, like there's like a little bit of a, yeah, a detective Elliot 
thing. <laughs> like in my head, at least there was, but I don't know if that plays. It might, we might just be gazing into each other's eyes for, you know, the whole season, but <laughs> you know, I love either, it. either way is, is fine. I love it yeah. because I called it, I called him being cast as as soon as I found out he was involved and I was just Uh-oh. like, Oh, did I just spoil something? I mean, it, it's pretty much it's, it's pretty much there. It's been written in that episode. It's, it's there oh, in that episode. Olivia. Yeah, I'm going to call you on your bullshit slightly, Danny, because you did call that, but you also called like three other people as no, Elliot's I potential love. Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? <laughs> okay, I so, need to know. So when I found out Sean McGuire was cast and then I saw that Jake Choi was cast, I thought it would be one or the other. That's what I said. Uh-huh. One or the other. <laughs> but then Jake Choi in the last episode literally died, and I was very upset because I love him. <laughs> R.I.P. Jake Choi. <laughs> Shantae, you say Sean McGuire. I love, I love Sean McGuire, though. Um, very he's underrated so, actor. He's so talented, and yeah. just he's, a, he's, like a, he's like a real precious being. I really adore him. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope the show doesn't do him dirty like uh, Once Upon a Time did, but, you know, I don't, we'll be there. <laughs> I don't think that's um, that's even close to possible, and that's all I'm going <laughs> to say about shows. it. Yes. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. So, Danny, I think you had a couple more questions for Hale, right, before he before we let him go. Uh, listeners, Hale needs to go a little bit earlier, so we're going to say goodbye to him in not too long. I got so, a good 17 minutes, you know? <laughs> so, like, I had a couple questions. I was just uh, wondering, after last season's finale, there was a lot of reaction to it. Mm. Um, Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, like, wondering, like, how you felt about that and, like, what's going on at uh, a queer man and maybe like what you hope people to get out of the season or, or something that you're excited for? Mm, that's a lot of good, good questions. Yeah. Um, well, I feel a kinship with the queer community who fell in love with this show and fell in love with, with Elliot particularly and has in a really beautiful way either found community through the fandom or, you know, either whether that's online or in, in their communities that they otherwise wouldn't have found or within a certain radius of mm-hmm. where they live. There's a lot of kids out there that I've met in Denver, Tulsa, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Philadelphia, who don't feel particularly seen in their in their worlds that they must exist in, either because they are too young to forge their own lives at this point or um, because they grew up with a certain level of trauma and uh and a queerness that just wasn't accepted Mm. um where they grew up so there's like it's kind of a like a given that i um i guess just have a huge degree of empathy um for those kids around the country and around the world and at the same time i feel a great responsibility to play elliot Um, for as long as I'm on The Magicians, a character who I love, and a character who is no stranger to trauma and tragedy himself. So it was kind of like walking an an interesting line there because I I, I both understood the the reactions and the the sadness and the grief over the fact that Quentin left the show, and 
I also felt a responsibility, perhaps more than ever, to deliver Elliot in his fullness and in his the exploration of his own process around what happened uh, on an even deeper level. So, not a deeper level, but but um, I felt more emphatically connected to Elliot in the aftermath of this event than than ever before, perhaps. Mm. I would also say that this season might be my strongest season on the show. And I don't know because I haven't seen it. And there, and also like, who knows if I saw it, if my opinion means jack shit, because I'm just watching, I'm just an actor watching himself. So I don't really know if I can be fully objective anyway, but the making of this season was kind of thrilling. And the unfortunate sadness of, of losing a dear friend, and for Elliot, a lover, it bore a, a kind of like beautiful banquet of delicious um, work for us to tackle together as an ensemble. And I do think that, I don't know, drama is part and parcel of acting. Conflict is part and parcel mm-hmm. of acting. And whether or not you agree with the choices that were made at the end of the season, um, I do hope that you guys will tune in to see how Elliot handles it because there's a level of specificity and nuance in the writing for Elliot this year that I hadn't seen before. So it's complicated. It's, I wasn't going to abandon the character and I, I think that the writers did an extraordinary job unpacking the big problem that they set up at the end of the season by having us lose someone we love so dearly. I don't know if that made sense, but I, it made sense to me. <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think, I mean, Danny and I have had a, a lot of long conversations and we had one with Olivia um, when the finale just came out. Um, Boy, that was fun talk. <laughs> I'm sorry. So fun. <laughs> I will admit a tiny part of why I didn't play the clip with you on is I didn't want to make you cry again, Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like Danny and I both identify as queer too. Um, and I think we really understand and uh, share the desire to see happy queer stories. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think we both feel like it's important to have queer characters be multifaceted and to see to see them as as real and three-dimensional yeah I agree a hundred percent I also think Elliot's a character who is in need of a certain attention to his own psychology both in some kind of therapeutic process and inward looking in order to be in a place where he could have that happy ending that everyone so desires for him even before Quentin's death that was true I want the same things for him and I want queer stories and I want complex queer stories but and you know the other side of things is 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 that you know six years ago when this job came around um, there weren't a lot of characters like Elliot Mm. on tv Mm -hmm. and things have shifted in such a beautiful way and that's so exciting but we to me and having been you know in an actor for for a while now and and having started up in new york over a decade ago i 
I, I've seen a lot of change in, in certain stories that are allowed to be told at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't want to sound like a, like a granny over here, but <laughs> on some level it, it goes from, you, you, you know, you're a young actor. I was a young actor in New York and a lot of people suggested that if I played a gay role, that I not play another gay role for a while because that, that spells certain death to the longevity of your career. Now things have changed a little bit on that front and I'm grateful for that. But now having played Elliot for five years, the conversation has changed so much. And in the advent of social media, everyone's voice is amplified, which is a beautiful thing, can be a beautiful thing. But it's also, and everyone has a right to share their opinion. And I, and I, I'm not saying that I disagree necessarily with some of the, um, with the feelings that they have. I understand the feelings, you know. That's it's not it's not confusing to me to empathize with those feelings. Um, but also at the same time, the character wouldn't have even been on on television seven years ago. So I don't. So so it's a so it's a strong hairpin turn. Um, I, anyway, I don't. I don't yeah. need to. I don't need to beat the dead horse. I, I think, I think it's complicated, and I see both sides of it, and I experienced all the sides of it personally. So I, I understand. I think it's kind of like what what Margot says later in the episode, right? Like, can I have a complicated feeling? That's that's how it is sometimes um, when you are seeing both how things like you want more, but you also see how far things have come and are grateful for it. And it, it can be complicated. And I think it can also be really complicated to be a public figure um, who is queer and playing a queer character. But it's, but, you know, honestly, I think like if, if that's the perception, if, if, if I have that perception at all, which I don't know if I do, but, but if, if, if I'm a, if I'm a queer public figure, it's because, there's a degree of honesty that I've been willing to share, but there's also a degree of questioning that would never be given to a straight actor. And so there's a huge double stand around which you get a job, you're playing a queer character. And then there's the faction of people or an interview that comes out. And because you've revealed yourself and your identity on some, to some extent, all of a sudden you're, you're an icon. Or you're, you know, I'm not saying that's being said about me, but it's like there's an instant, there's like kind of a zero to a hundred yeah. level of intensity or scrutiny um, that is potential pressure. with with queer um, or non-binary uh, characters or actors that the same line of questioning just doesn't exist for straight mm-hmm. for straight actors. So um, it's complicated, and we live in a in which you know everyone's opinion is on full blast, and and that's it's intense. I'm not going to lie; it was an intense moment for me, and I and it was hard to see and feel everyone's pain so acutely. Anyway, I guess that's I guess that's enough. I guess I've said quite a lot. Well, thank you so much for sh- for sharing that with us. Everything you're saying is very true, and it's a very complex thing. And. It's too much to unpack one podcast at a time. It's and it's ever changing. So yeah, things yeah. things have changed really fast, for or at least they seem that way for yeah. someone of my age and experience. <laughs> so I'm I feel connected 
feel what's happening and connected to the kids out there who feel deeply around this conversation. Um, and I also have a responsibility to my character and to a show that I love and I will continue. Yeah. And I hope you enjoy what's happening in the aftermath because I think that it explores a depth that we didn't otherwise, wouldn't otherwise necessarily see. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really nuanced. I can't speak for anyone else, but I can speak for, I can speak for me. And I think I can probably speak for Danny, but I'll let her do it on her own. And to say that we have, we just, we really love what we've seen this season so far. And it feels really raw and honest and authentic in a way that TV and especially fantasy TV rarely does. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And as sad as it makes me, because Quentin was literally one of my favorite characters, so to see you know like him die was kind of the worst. But at the same time, I feel like with TV and movies and books and stuff, sometimes with the big series, you have to see like that glue dissolve to see some growth with the other characters. Yeah, yeah, because you don't want them to just be stay stuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Hale, I know you have to get going. Is there anything else you want to? sort of say leave people with um before you do i loved making this season it was um ironically a joy to make it um it's a joy to continue playing elliot i hope we get to do more if you're into that sort of thing <laughs> yeah i don't know i i loved working with liv on this episode and on this season and and i'm thankful that you guys had us had me on and us on and you know <laughs> gonna go pack some suitcases and try and <laughs> figure out this little life <laughs> thank you so much Hale thank you for being here yes <laughs> thank you so much Hale oh I love you um I'll see you later probably let's get dinner okay see you later <laughs> Bye, um, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much. So, shall we... Well, before we move on to Margot, Josh, and Fenn, is there anything else you want to say about your storyline or Alice's storyline, Olivia? Oh. And for the whole season? No, no, for the episode. I meant for the episode, but yeah, sure, by all means. I mean, yeah, if you <laughs> want to talk about the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really was so much fun filming these scenes and... um I just love this character so much. Um, sorry, I'm wrapped up in my head still about everything Hale was talking about, so it's hard to jump back into. I have a specific I'm question for you. It's So how did you feel like in the episode prior, episode two, working with Luca, who played like a young Quentin? How was that for you? Oh, man, Luca's so talented. He's such a... Um, He's such an amazing guy. I mean, he's just like wise beyond his years. And I'm a big fan of, of Sarah's other show, uh, You. And so oh, I had yeah. already seen his work on that show. Mm -hmm. And um, when they told me Luca was going to be working with me, I got really excited. And um, um, Alice has gotten to work with a lot of guest stars over the years. It's just the nature of my character. I get to work with a lot of different people. And, and Luca was just what a gentleman. He's so freaking smart. And he just understood this character and he did his research. And I, there was like, you know, we were just right there with each other the whole time. And he's beautiful and soulful. And um, yeah, I love, I love his work in episode two. I think he's just, 
he's such a he's a he's a great scene partner and it was cathartic for me because Jason is a great scene partner and I miss working with him and and Luca just stepped up and was is was definitely a version of Jason oh my enough. god he had his yeah. mannerisms down pat yeah it was floored like I was like <laughs> whoa like you know it was weird he was yeah he was great I feel really lucky that I got to work with him <laughs> I, I really like that scene. I felt like it was cathartic probably for a lot of people. And hopefully when they watch it, they'll feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything else you want to say about 503 before we move on to, or about uh, Alice and Elliot in 503 before we move on to Margot, Josh, and Finn? Um, you know, I just think Alice and Elliot are wonderful and they should get married and be happily ever after on top. But that's just my version of the magicians. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to Margot, Josh, and Fen. Um, so, Danny, you said in your notes that the scene where Margot stabs Fen was one of your least favorite in the episode. Why was that? I really feel like you mentioned it before, like pitting women against each other, and especially in the relationship between these two. I thought we were past a lot of that with Margot and Fen, so I just found it a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I get that. I, I will say, it's kind of what I said before, I don't really think that's what it was about. Like, I saw a lot of it as being about Margot's sort of guilt and anger over not being seen for who she really is. She's accepting their gratitude and um, their sort of fawningness. But I think she feels like an imposter because she, when she does that, because she kind of is. And like, I thought a lot about um, the backstory we got about Margot in 410, where you see that her her dad, right, basically did the virgin whore dichotomy on her, right? She was his perfect little daughter until she became sexual and had wants and agency of her own. And uh, then he just vilified her. And so I think for her the idea of being put on a pedestal for someone who she isn't really is, is really abhorrent. You know, also she was a werewolf at the time or becoming one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I had that initial reaction too. But when I, when I sort of thought about it more, I, I don't really think it was about Josh at all. I think you see that a little bit in the dungeon too, when like Fen makes the, Fen gets mad and like says, "Ugh, but Josh, you were just a lovesick puppy. Right. She didn't really have that deep attachment to him. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it seemed like there was more going on. I also think in that scene, when in that dungeon, when Margot is sort of asserting who she is, right, like she feels like she is going to be honest, even if it means she loses people she loves. And she's really just thinking about like how it affects her. And it is brave in a way, but once she says it, I think she realizes a little bit too late that it's it's also kind of cruel to those people the way that she has approached it. Yeah. I I think it's kind of an interesting to contrast uh, Alice and Margot in this episode because Alice is having trouble dealing with the truth and Margot is having trouble with the lies that she's been telling. And I have a feeling Margot's going to have a hard time with the fact that Elliot was honest about his feelings with Alice and not her. What do you think, Olivia? Oh, that's interesting. I don't want to give things away, but yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody's different with every person in their life and they're a different version of themselves, right? We're all actors, even whether we like it or not. And mm -hmm. um, 
Alice went through something that Elliot, they both went through something very similar. And so they share that. So it's a safe place. And, and Margot, I mean, I don't want to speak for those two characters, but you know, they have a different relationship and um, they, they both kind of protect themselves even within the relationship they have. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know how to comment on that because I'm not, that. <laughs> but um, I think Summer's, performance is brilliant always and I love that character and I think that the love that her and uh, Josh have is one of my favorite things on the show Mm -hmm. it surprised me when it first came along and now it's become one of my favorite storylines and so it's being explored in the beginning of the season but um yeah we also we haven't seen Margot and Alice together really since season one either at least not in any kind of depth Alice and Margot are two of my favorite characters together one of the, some of the scenes we had in the beginning of the show in season one were so much fun. And we were really excited because Summer and I are really good friends. We were so excited to to work together a ton and to have that because they're two um, very strong female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, like strong energies in a room. And um, and that was really fun to play with. And I'm really sad that that hasn't really necessarily been explored throughout the show. But, um, you know, I don't really want to give away what happens throughout our season. But um, yeah, those two together are, is, a, is a favorite combo of mine. Yeah, I hope Gosh. we get to see them back. I still, like, one of my all time, one of my favorite lines in the entire show comes from that, one of those early scenes with Margot and Alice, where um, I think Alice is, like, packing up to leave break bills. And um, she said, she said she makes some comment about, like, I thought you'd be happy, um, no more competition. And once she's out the door, Margot says, but I like competition. And I just yeah. thought that was, like, such a perfect moment <laughs> um, early on. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they used to be a pretty pretty strong, like, ship. People used to love them back then. Oh, yeah, Malice. Yeah, Malice. Malice. I mean, I still ship that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I ship it all. <laughs> um, Danny, you, you said, speaking of ships, you said you were surprised that Fen and Josh hooked up. Can you say why that was? I guess it's just that they're two characters that seem to care the most about Margot, and I felt like they are the two characters that are least likely to betray mm-hmm. her. And I know that they said that they waited forever to do it, but I don't know. I guess I just, like, um, she would care less if Josh hooked up with some random Florian. It just seems kind of, like, too easy, I guess, that they would hook up, and I think that's why it surprises me. Yeah, so, I mean, I can sort of get that, but I think they make a lot of sense, both because sort of going off of what you just said, right, like, if they are both people who who cared a lot about Margot and lost Margot, for one, they have that in common. But the other thing is that Fen is very nurturing by nature and, and really um, a lot of a caretaker. But Josh is also someone who takes care of people, um, usually by feeding them. Um, but he, <laughs> he is really somebody who is nurturing as well. And I can see how it would really appeal to Fen to have a guy around who is trying to take care of her instead of someone who she has to be taking care of all the time. Yeah. I can definitely see that. And I just think it's, for me, it was kind of more like, is it necessary? I mean, I don't mind it at the end of the day. It's just something that I was just kind of a little bit surprised by, but I mean, I, I, I I think that it's, um, uh, it's just another, you know, faction of grief. It's a different, it's, you know, that's something happens. It's a real thing that happens. You know, you lose, 
somebody loses someone and then they end up dating the best friend or marrying the best friend. That's because true. This is this the best way they can get to that person they lost. And I think that that's, that's where that's coming from. At least that's what I, what yeah. I read in it. So. And then I like, I do feel like, you know, they were cut off from everybody. It wasn't just yeah. Margot. Like they had no idea what had happened to anybody. Yeah. So it's definitely like, I can see it, but it was just kind of one of those things that I was just like, hmm. But we should move on to Julia and Penny. I like this episode exposed more of the cracks in their relationship. I feel like that ship isn't very long for this world, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, H- Henry, I think, made a comment when we talked to him for 501 about how grief sometimes keeps people together when they might not actually have much else that would do the trick or when they they just aren't compatible in other ways. And at some point, they're going to have to reckon with the difference in their priorities, which I, I think became really apparent in this episode, even if Julia wasn't acknowledging it, right? That's the first I've heard Penny say, like, I just want to settle down. I don't want any of those drama anymore, basically. But that's a pretty yeah. big difference. Yeah. And speaking of relationships, one thing we didn't talk about earlier was whether Elliot and Alice will find love again. There's a hint that the Dark King might be a love interest for Elliot. I feel like they have a bond that's deeper than just sex, um, in that they've both lost the men that they loved. So we'll see what happens with that. But what about Alice, Olivia? What do you think? Do you see your character finding love again? Well, I can't answer that fully because I don't <laughs> want to spoil the season. But it was a big question of mine going into this season. And um, I really love how they handled it. I mean, I, I would be very sad if, you know, in episode four, Alice falls in love and and moves on because that's not how life works. But um. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that Quentin is the love of her life, and she'll never forget that. So um, I would, you know, it, just as much as I would love pine over, you know, and, and just think about Quentin for the rest of her life, because I love that. I love it so much, those two characters in the books. But, um, you know, I also want to see her happy again. Mm. But that's, you know, that could take a while. So, I, I yeah, I don't. It's just, I don't want to give away what happens, but it was definitely something that was handled with care this season. And um, yeah, it was a big question for everybody. Um, So sort of going back to the Julia and Penny storyline and uh, sort of the last thing I want to bring up before we get into fashion, Danny kind of had a crackpot theory that relates to um, the whole thing where, so Julia and Penny find this magician, Daniela, who predicts this thing that they call harmonic convergence. And Danny was going to explain a little bit about what that is um, in life and also in Legend of Korra. Is that right? Yes. There's a character named Danny. I'm honored. Um, (laughs) Of PK Enterprises, no less. (laughs) That said, I truly have no idea what it actually means for the show. The idea of harmonic convergence has been around forever. I personally am only familiar with it because of Avatar The Last Airbender sequel, The Legend of Korra. I think at this point I've brought it up that that series a couple times and I have no idea if they were actually inspired by the show or not. But in that universe, it's when the planets align and there's like a fight between good and bad that balances the universe for a certain way for like 10,000 years. So during one of those harmonic convergences in Korra, she unites the spirit world with the physical world into one 
which creates a lot of side effects. It makes people who haven't been able to bend have that ability, and it also makes a bunch of new airbenders. It's also important to note that during harmonic convergence in Korra, the very first avatar came to be because the character Juan fuses with a good spirit, Rava. I feel that being avatar would be similar to being a god in the magician's universe. So I think it would tie into Julia somehow getting her goddess powers back in order to save everything. In real life, harmonic convergence was named after a synchronized global meditation that happened in 1987 during the planets aligning perfectly, which was supposed to usher in years of peace. That was supposed to end in 2012, back when the world was supposed to end. I think they can definitely tie that in with synchronized magic. I feel like there's probably a lot more there and stuff we could potentially bring up in the future. But if you haven't watched The Legend of Korra, I think now is a good time if you don't know what the hell's going on and you want to see what you (laughs) might be able to expect from the Magician's Universe. Basically, just like a lot of things reminded me of that specific season of The Legend of Korra that have been happening so far. Like, there's so many more people who can do magic. (laughs) Just a thought. Olivia, you're smiling so wide. (laughs) Well, I mean, I love to hear theories. Um, I all I'll say is that harmonic convergence is a very powerful thing in any of those universes. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you have to watch. You have to stay tuned. And watch. <laughs> yeah. But well, I love all that. <laughs> hearing you talk about it, Danny, and some of the texts you sent me last night, right? Like it, it kind of harkens back a little bit to. I, I mean, there's a lot of mythologies that have these like cycles of destruction and rebirth. Mm-hmm. And They're called like heaven and hell cycles. <laughs> Oh, well, but I mean, like, uh, I, I think that exists in, well, so, right, like, the harmonic convergence, the date that they got, I think, came from the end of the Mayan calendar. I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, in um, in Hindu mythology, right, the god Shiva is both destructive and creative. And so, like, that, it, it's a really big theme in a lot of mythology. And, um yeah. It's so interesting all the different ways that it gets interpreted, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how the magicians interprets it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, is this is this your first time being on for a crackpot theory? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'm I don't know how to handle these situations because I don't want to give anything away. That's okay. Big smiles are are the usual. <laughs> yeah, it's the usual. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, we, we, we are short-shrifting the Julia Penny storyline a little bit, but I feel like since it got a crackpot theory, um, we can move on to fashion now. Um, and this was one of those rare notes where I think, like, you said more about fashion than I did, <laughs> Danny. Um, and I thought your first sort of question about that was really interesting because you were wondering if Alice still wears Quentin's clothes. Where did that idea come from for you? It was really important to me to wear Quentin's clothes. It's something that came up really early on with Magali, the costume designer. And I'd been pitching, I've wanted Alice to wear Quentin's clothes since season one because, I mean, I, I've worn my partner's clothes many times in life. That's just something you do when you love somebody is you wear their shirts, you wear their sweatshirt, you wear whatever you can, you know, because it smells good. It smells like them. So in the mm-hmm. beginning of the show, I always wanted to wear, I wanted scenes where Alice would like have his flannel on or something, but that just... It never flew for them. So um, in his death, I finally got my way, which is really sad. <laughs> but I just think it was a way for her to get closer to him. 
and um, it was a, it was a visual um, representation of her grief, and it was subtle. Like I, I don't know if everybody noticed that I was wearing her clothes or if it just looked like Alice woke up really sloppy. Um, but um, they were, you know, most of them were actually uh, Quentin's wardrobe, the clothes that Jason wore, oh, wow. and uh, scraped. They were the same size, um, <laughs> but wore the same clothes. Is great but um it, yeah it just helped me as an actor really get into into Alice's mindset and um I really loved that and it was um it was nice to be comfortable too for a couple episodes of the show for the first time ever um I'm <laughs> Alice buttoned up and tight and cinched in certain places and so it was it was good to see that side of her um Magali always does an amazing job at, a, at being able to show what we're going through with her wardrobe um so yeah I'm glad that people noticed. That was exciting for me, um, that people have noticed that in the first... I mean, they've noticed it in the first episode since that's what's aired so far. So, yeah. I didn't notice quite right away, but I think I did start noticing it in the second episode. Um, yeah. But I love that because I think even if you don't, like, lose a partner to death, but even in just real life, like, like you you lose someone that you've been dating and if say you're mm. still like really into them, like I feel like you latch on to like their items too. Like yeah. I've yeah. definitely done that. I've definitely worn like a sweater of someone that I was no longer with and was very sad about. Oh yeah. yeah. I never returned my ex-boyfriend's the tick t-shirt. Just didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a thrift store now, but it, it didn't return it. <laughs> um, I I like that you got to be comfortable too because I think every time we've talked to you, <laughs> that's something that you've you've mentioned is that you get you remember every time you get to wear pants because it's yeah um, and this time jeans it's the only mm-hmm. time you'll ever Alice in jeans but I still want to you know these are all just micro little choices that were made like when you first meet her she's not wearing any jewelry she's not doing her hair and she you know is wearing his clothes and as the first three episodes go on I slowly started putting my jewelry on in the morning before I go to set and slowly started putting makeup on and mm-hmm. and you know it's just it's it's all things that are just silly and stupid and they're just for me but they helped me slowly get closer to Alice being okay because that's what it's like when you lose somebody you know day one everything's a mess you're not going to get anything together but slowly every day you get one step closer to being able to, you know, one foot in front of the other. And I tried to do that with her hair, makeup, and wardrobe. And um, I brought back her braid this season that we had in season one, the braid in her hair. And that was really important to me when I pitched that because I feel like she was just trying to capture the innocence that she had when she was with first met Quentin mm-hmm. at Break Bill. And that's something that she missed and she's nostalgic and she just wants her life back and when she was happy. So I started putting the braid in the side of her hair, which we haven't seen in three seasons. So just little things like that that are um, me as the actor to get into where Alice's headspace is. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I love that stuff so much. And part of the reason I love the fashion on the show is because there are all it's all these little choices. But, you know, it's it's show don't tell. It's seeing um, the way that a character is. And it that's what makes it feel real instead of feel like a. TV when you're watching mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. So I also really love how much Florian garb we got in this episode, um, just because there's so many people in Fillory and there's a big event happening in Fillory. Um, Margot, Josh, Finn, 
Elliot and the Dark King are all wearing Felurian things at some point. I think Elliot changes into um, his like Earth civvies before they go hiking. Mm-hmm. But uh, the highlight for me, fashion wise, was Margot's fighting outfit. And I loved it for a different reason than I normally love her outfits, because her outfits are normally so flashy. But she's wearing something that is functional and that blends in a little more, and that, which makes sense because she's trying not to be recognized as, you know, the banished ex high king who they'd probably chop her head off if they had the opportunity. But I just, I really love that she went with something more subtle. And it's, again, it's like bringing all of that psychology and the ways that she is maybe changing into the show too and of course she still looks amazing she looks very good with that ariana grande high pony <laughs> I, I dug it margo's hair is insane That's <laughs> I, I felt like she was getting sassier in the episode as she became more wolf-like and i i thought it was hilarious i like the part where elliot called alice a goth survivalist <laughs> in her outfit I thought it was perfect. <laughs> I um, was a little confused, honestly, because she didn't look very gothy to me. But, <laughs> oh, but um, I mean, that's something that when I read that, it's in the script and that that's what she looks like. And then he says it. And I really thought when I read that we were going to go real goth with Alice's look. And in different fittings, you know, different things were brought up. And, and I don't really remember all the conversations, but we kind of landed on this place where Alice and Elliot would look a little bit more earthy and grounded and um, I mean that outfit that Alice has on during the mountain scene in the hike is not anything she's ever worn before no. that's not like something she would ever put on but um you know it's like you know put on their boots you know put on their backpacks and go they have a mission and we wanted clothes to not distract from the mission um you know what I mean if it was too much costume it would feel a distraction like why would oh, yeah. Alice think that no she's gonna be she needs boots she needs a jacket so you know mm. that's where we saw that she reminded me of uh I have a bunch of family who live in Vermont and it was a very Vermont look <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's definitely a look that I would have some something like that Olivia would wear for sure um <laughs> yeah it's also freezing cold in Vancouver and it was raining and so we had to be, we had to have things that we could layer for when it would get freezing. I mean, a lot of those scenes, it's actually pouring rain. You just can't tell. So, you know, oh, you've got, wow. we had to actually be, um, <laughs> we had to be ready for the elements. When were you filming this episode? Um, I want to say probably end of July, beginning of August. I don't know. Time's an illusion. Um, before we move on to the MVP do you have any fashion notes for this episode that you want to share Olivia I forget the structure so I guess I could have waited to talk about stuff no (laughs) I think everyone looks great (laughs) (laughs) all right Um, thing that I felt about the the, um, wardrobe as far as my character is concerned yeah um, all right, MVP time. I don't think it's going to be any surprise that I'm giving my MVP to you and to Hale. Um, it's, you're both incredible as individuals, but I think together, it's what, what did Hale say? He said it was alchemy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really felt that. Um, the scene is, the scenes you have together is such a partnership and it's amazing and it's really magic. And so, yes, my MVP, Hale and Olivia. Danny? Oh. I mean, same. <laughs> 
<laughs> you already knew I was going to give it to them both. She just stole it from me first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, like immediately, like I don't even think I thought anything else for uh, a second as you and Hale. It was magical. Like I said, I've been waiting for them to have like a scene like this mm-hmm. for a really long time. So it was really awesome. Well, thanks, guys. I'm glad you liked it. Olivia, I don't ask you to give MVPs, but if there's anyone you want to shout out, um, anyone whose who's work you think may have been under-discussed, feel free. Under-discussed? I feel like we discussed everybody. I mean, my MVP is to is to Hale. I mean, I'm my scene partner, so <laughs> we, him, it's, it takes a lot of work. Everybody works really hard on this show, and, um, you know, him and I do our, you know, we, we do our work outside of set together and then when we showed up it was all there and we got lucky that it all worked out but um he's a phenomenal actor and I, I'm, I feel really lucky to to have him as a dear friend and a dear scene partner well that takes us to ratings which we have not been doing as ratings <laughs> this season we've been doing it more as a like just kind of final recap like what worked and what didn't and um yeah like what we're excited about um, and Danny is probably going to shout at me for this because last episode I told her she had to find something that didn't work for her in the episode. But I honestly, I really think this episode is perfect. Um, I loved everything about it. And I, I mean, I was basically like crying from beginning to end every single time I watched <laughs> it. Um, it's so satisfying. Um, and I don't know. I just love, I love how the storylines connect together on this like theme of, complicated relationships and facing the truth it felt really cohesive so that's me danny we already talked about what i didn't like not really much i loved this episode so much it had so much heart and soul and i think sarah did an incredible job with the script um i think my favorite moments were between alice and elliot and then elliot and the dark king i really liked their conversation as well um, by the way, does he have an actual name or is it something we're going to find out later? Uh, I'm not going to ask Olivia to answer that. I, I don't remember. Like, I don't, did he have a name in the script? I don't think that he, they say that his name heard. in this episode. I don't yeah, think he so. He doesn't like introduce Dark. himself. I don't remember, <laughs> but Dark King it is for now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that, I think he did have a name. I, I, I can't remember. remember. <laughs> I feel like he introduced himself, but like as soon as he got, we figured out he was Dark King. Anything like that, like dropped from my mind, and I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure we'll hear about it from listeners uh, if someone else picked it up. Um, any final thoughts, Olivia? Final thought? No. I mean, I really am proud of this episode and I'm of the show and everybody involved, and feel really lucky to to play these characters. And five years is a long time. Just really deep, and and I'm just really grateful to the fans for being so understanding and loving, and 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 they take such good care of us. And um, I really hope they enjoy this season as much as we did. I hope so too. I sure did. So mm-hmm. far, <laughs> <laughs> so far, we're very much enjoying it. <laughs> All right. Well, that takes us to the end of the episode. Olivia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. This was really great. I'm glad that Hale and I could do it together. Um, yes. I like yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, we, we liked it, too. We liked your uh, <laughs> your alchemy together on the podcast just as much as on the show. <laughs> yes. So, 
yeah, I'll, I'll thank Hale again, even though he's not here, for joining us for the first half. And thanks to our listeners, too. If you like our podcast, head over to iTunes and leave us your rating and review. The more we get, the easier it is for people to find us. Blah, blah, blah. I feel like I've been saying this for five years because I have. Uh, so <laughs> that's it. Bye from all of us. Bye. Bye. Mind slide. Wah, 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 wah. Ooh.